This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the show that wants to remind you that dating a guy under 24 is considered self-harm. I'm your co-host, Alice Vaughn, and with me is my gorgeous and funny co-host, Natalia Regan. Natalia, how are you doing today? I have committed too much self-harm in recent years. Dating is a strong word, though fraternized with under 24-year-olds, do not advise unless you are getting in and getting out, much like they are. You have a goal. (laughs) (laughs) Not longevity, let's just put it that way. I mean, in the terms of time spent with each other. In terms of physical time, you know, yeah, endurance is a thing. Wasted on the young. Wasted (laughs) on youth, really. (laughs) Just not fair. The less you know, the longer you can go. Actually, that's not true necessarily. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop <laughs> before I dig a deeper hole. You know what? We can also uh, put a poll or a survey out and figure this out. <laughs> I, I know our, our guest loves surveys, and I know our guest loves research. <laughs> and I love polls. <laughs> Being repeatedly polled. <laughs> Oh, dear God. I should note, everyone at home, I am doing this recording from my mom's house, who is in the other room. As if that ever made a difference. No. She asked me, she's like, what what podcast are you doing today? The porn podcast, Mom. (laughs) Okay. She's wonderful. As is our guest, Dr. Justin Lee Miller. Justin, thank you for joining us again. It's been too long. I know. Thanks for having me. Um, I've got a lot going on, and I do a lot of podcasts, and so I've actually been turning down a lot lately, but when you sent an invite over, I was like, you know, I actually had a lot of fun the last time I did their podcast, so I was willing to make room for you. So thanks for having me. Oh, that says a lot. I love that you, I did. you squeezed us in. <laughs> Thank you. Out of all the shows, you knew that, look, ours is at least mediocre. Yeah, and I know that I can drink during it too, so I'm, you know, totally good with that. I've heard you're just insatiable. (laughs) Not the first time I've heard that, but... (laughs) I bet, I bet. For the viewers, listeners at home, he has amazing facial hair. It is a sight to behold. You should actually become a Patreon member so you can see it. I need to start a Patreon for my beard at some point, you know. I think it's more popular than me. That's allowed. (laughs) (laughs) Considering how uh, AI is becoming more prolific nowadays, you know, one day uh, people will be able to superimpose your beard onto their faces. (laughs) I want it just on my elbow. You know what we should do? We should get your face or at least your beard on Cardi B's face for the WAP video. That would be something. That would be beautiful. If we do a promo shot for this particular podcast, I think we should all have our, his beard photoshopped on each of us, <laughs> Alice. I, and even the bongo in the background should have his beard just to really... Really sell it. Just really, just go there. No, to self-pay <laughs> someone on Fiverr to photoshop beards. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was done. We have so many questions. I mean, it's been, what, a year and a half now since you've been on the show, and we went into a pandemic. We all thought there was going to be, you know, a baby boom. It didn't happen. Not yet, but, (laughs) yeah. I mean, (laughs) the night's young. I know. It has been a while, and boy, (laughs) a lot has changed in the world, especially in the world of sex research. People are doing everything a little bit differently these days, and it's funny, like, 
for me, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen as we went into all of this. And, you know, at first I found myself with a lot of time on my hands because all my speaking gigs were canceled. And so I just started doing a shit ton of research and looking at what's actually going on in people's lives. And now I'm like busier than ever. And like every day I'm doing like media stuff on like how to have a virtual threesome and like just, you know, everything that people are doing a little bit differently these days. So it's been unusual, but unusually busy times. So, so how do, I gotta ask? How do you have yeah. a virtual threesome? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alice. Great question. Came to the right place. So <laughs> when it comes to a virtual threesome, you know, you gotta pick the right platform. It can be Zoom, it can be whatever you want. But the paid version, not the free. After 45 minutes, if you haven't gotten it done, it, yeah. it shuts down. Yeah, and that that can be awkward. Mm. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of prep work that needs to happen. Like, if you think threesomes in general are kind of logistically challenging to coordinate, like a virtual threesome like takes things to a different level because you have to make sure your Wi-Fi is working and, you know, all of that other stuff. Uh, because you don't want to, like, wind up in the middle of a virtual threesome and your screen freezes and you've got, like, some awkward facial expression, you know? So, you know, it starts with, like, checking all the tech, getting all that coordinated, then choosing the right lighting. Uh, a friend of mine who is a professional sex hacker, like that's a thing. Oh like, yeah, Kenneth can Play. Hack people's sex lives. Yes, Kenneth Play. Uh, he recommends using red lighting when mm. you're doing a virtual threesome because it makes it look like you're not sitting under some fluorescent hospital lights. And so it just kind of gives like a nice, sexy atmosphere, makes you look a little bit more attractive. And then once you're getting into it, like maybe start by actually dressing up for the threesome so that you can actually strip down and make it a seductive thing. I think it's also worth considering playing a game. You know, it could be a strip game. It could be truth or dare. It could be anything like where you're just kind of like having fun with it and seeing where it goes. So it's a totally different type of threesome. And if you want to go the extra level where you're kind of adding physical stimulation in, get some remote controlled sex toys in advance so you can all stimulate each other via remote control so it feels a bit more personal in that way so i know like initially when you hear virtual threesome you're like how the hell does that work but once you like (laughs) figure through all of these things you can actually make it into a, a fun and exciting experience that's new and different so I have a problem because you got me at red lighting and all I could picture was I can't move <laughs> forward from that because I'm going to keep making jokes as if I'm under like a heat lamp, like as if I'm a taquito at 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> or it looks like you're in a tanning booth or something like that, maybe. yeah. Or I, Amsterdam. Fair. Invest in some good lighting, good red lights. Logistically speaking, now with a virtual threesome would it be i'm assuming two people together with is the unicorn still a third in a different place or are they three because i mean this is where like the logistics can get pretty messy i can imagine if it's three people in three different locations that's people talking over each other like we're doing and you know that awkward like no you do the thing okay you do the thing are is it usually isn't this why zoom has the raise your hand feature like (laughs) (laughs) You know, to make it easier for you when you want to insert yourself into the... Quite literally, yeah. If you're having an orgy, you could do a breakout session in Zoom for one-on-one. Small groups. Uh If you want to do, you know, a blue version of Pictionary, you can get the whiteboard out, play Hangman, but, you know, 
It could be hung man. I don't know. We could <laughs> something with the whiteboard. I feel like if you really want to go there with the Zoom meetings, I, I remember early on, I feel as though we did talk during the pandemic, Justin. I feel like because you were doing research last time we talked. The last year has been a blur. I, I know. don't remember anything. Because <laughs> I, re- I feel like it, we, were, we talked about what you kind of were looking at trends that were happening during the pandemic. And, you know, like say, for instance, more sexting or not sexting. But I always thought that it would be really interesting to have Zoom porn where, you know, they're not actually in the same room, but it, like their phallus could disappear into the screen and it's, it's assumed that they could go into, you know what I mean? Just sort of act it out. I feel like if anybody could do it, it would be Tommy Pistol, but or the parody world. I don't know. You got my mind spinning because now I'm thinking about like, you know how when you have a Zoom background on and like if you back up far enough, like you can just see your face like coming out of it and you can't see anything else. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all kinds of porn applications with that where like you could just like have whatever you want in front of the Zoom background. Um, So yeah, like there's all kinds of ways you can customize this stuff to add a little novel kick into what's going on. And like, that's literally what people are doing right now. We Mm. find in our research at the Kinsey Institute that about one in five of the people we surveyed said they've tried something new in their sex life since the pandemic began. For a lot of them, it's something virtual. Mm -hmm. Like they tried sexting or phone sex or cyber sex, if we still use that term. You know, they tried that kind of thing for the first time or they started filming themselves masturbating or or doing something else. So if you're looking at people who are single, you see a lot more like virtual engagement, but for people in relationships, they're trying a lot of new stuff too, but it's like they're having sex in a different location in the home or they're trying a different position or they're sharing and acting on their sexual fantasies. So this has been like a period of sexual revolution for a lot of people where they've just kind of explored and experimented with their sexuality. And I should also mention that that means some people got kinkier, like they tried BDSM for the first time or they had their first group sex experience. Some people had their first same sex experience where it's like, you know, I'm living with my roommate, we're of the same sex. I can't go out and hook up with other people, but you're in my pod and I'm kind of open to that idea. And so, you know, you've had a little sexual flexibility that's happened as well during this period. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? It is. (laughs) Or just fun, really. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess it could really break down walls as it's built walls because, yeah, I mean, you really do have to get flexible. We're, I mean, and I talk about that, you know, a lot as an anthropologist that humans are incredibly plastic. We can adapt and that's why we are so resilient and you can find us pretty much on almost every square inch of this planet. Whereas most non-human primates are like, eh, only the hot, warm places. Thank you very much. You know, um, we can hack it anywhere. And, um, and actually I remember years ago when there was question of whether or not anatomically modern humans would have had sex with Neanderthals. Like, say, if we can't come into contact with them, would we do it? And there was a whole camp that was like, no, we would never. And there was a camp that was like, of course we would. And then I saw this brilliant talk, brilliant talk. I I forget his last name. His first name was Gregor. He was pro-Neanderthals, anatomically modern humans admixing, which, by the way, we know now that we have ancient DNA sequence that they did, in fact, get down, and a lot of us have Neanderthal DNA. If it has a hole, we will fuck it. How is this a question? Exactly. (laughs) So Grigor did this great talk at a conference of all the different things humans have 
tried and successfully or unsuccessfully tried to fuck. And it was brilliant. You know, it was like a, a mailbox portal. It was a watermelon. It was a pie. It was, you know, a fish mouth, whatever, like all these sorts of things, you know. So what makes us think that we would turn down basically a human because Neanderthals are considered human? Why would we turn them down? Because they don't have a chin? Well, we don't necessarily know that if they have a beard like Justin. So, uh, you know, uh, we're not that picky. I'm sorry. Did you say a fish mouth? I mean, yeah. I guess my brain went straight to goldfish. Oh, ouch. Ouch. I mean, for the fish. I mean, I don't know. I've never never thought about it, but yeah. It wasn't a blowfish? <laughs> oh. I don't know. That, that was the obvious joke. There but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking about the mailbox thing now, and I'm like, oh, was this a metal mailbox or was it plastic? Like, I don't know. Right? But, but I mean, mailbox openings are so big, too. Is that hard? I don't know. Maybe it was a mailbox gangbang. Was it full of mail? That could be someone's kink, this, the nice smell of a li- recently licked envelope. I don't know. I do not kink shame. It's not a licked envelope. Let's be honest. It's mostly grocery store coupons no one uses. I use those coupons, Alice. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rude. I'm sorry. <laughs> ShopRite sends me way too many of them. <laughs> I was a double coupon fiend in my early 20s. Shut up. Yes, I was such an old lady for being 21. I was like, I saved $40 to my trip to Ralph's. Yeah, youth is wasted on the young. Uh, But I never tried to have sex with those coupons. I'll uh, make that very clear. If you've had sex with coupons, write to us. Email at info at twogirlsonmike.com. Yes, but don't send us those coupons. That's between you and the coupon. Fair. And the paper cuts you got from it. God. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I like that people are being flexible during the pandemic. So I have to say, I met a lot of people during the pandemic that actually were trying to flex their non-monogamy muscle, which I thought was interesting given we're living in a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Stop. Like, be smart. Like, maybe more virtual stuff or be really smart. Because even if you were to test and, you know, quarantine and then test, it's still like COVID's a really sneaky mofo. So I think uh, I met some individuals that I was like, maybe this is the time to try virtual ethical non-monogamy rather than like jumping into, you know, a full-blown polyamorous situation with people that may or may not have COVID. The plague. You don't want to get the plague. I mean, syphilis is bad enough, but the plague. Uh. In our research, we actually looked at we looked at a lot of different things that were happening, not just like what are people doing in bed, but what's happening in their relationship. And we saw a lot of people who were consensually non-monogamous before the pandemic hit, who then switched to monogamy during this period of time, which is kind of been an interesting experiment and journey for them because it's like, well, let's try this whole monogamy thing and see how it works out. But by the same token, you also had some people who were polyamorous who the pandemic forced a change of circumstances. So for example, they moved a partner in with them and their primary partner. And so then they suddenly had to navigate those really complex dynamics and, you know, their primary and their secondary, like, have to form a relationship in some way because they're living together, right? Not necessarily a sexual relationship, but it's just like, hey, like, you're in my life now. And then there are also some poly people who, you know, we ask people to write out what the experience was like for them. And I remember this one woman talking about how she moved in with 
her partner and his parents during the pandemic, but the parents didn't know they were polyamorous. And so then they had to like go into this underground secrecy. And so this is one of the things I found so interesting about our data is just like the diversity in people's experiences and, and how things evolved. And, and then there's also, you know, for people who are polyamorous, there was this consideration of like, well, I have to think about what all of my other partners are doing and how that's going to impact the health of each other. And so we had some participants who were like, well, I'm thinking of breaking up with X partner because he's not taking social distancing seriously and I don't want to put my other partners at risk. And so like, that's been a whole dynamic during this as well. So I think you know, in all the popular media reports you see about how the pandemic is affecting relationships, it's primarily like, you know, people in monogamous long-term relationships. But when oh, you look so at the, the dynamics, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> when you look at the dynamics of consensual non-monogamy during this time, it's fascinating and goes off in so many directions. So here's a question. So for us boring people in our long-term monogamous relationships, I know that you've written some articles about how to keep the spark alive and, you know, that they've been dipping their toes into new stuff. What can they do more? So for example, if you're already, I mean, I assume that there's a number of people who definitely have not ventured into the waters of BDSM or other types of play. You know what? Let's just list suggestions. So (laughs) anal, you know, if you've never done that, It's time to start. And if you've started, then have you considered sizing up? Bottoms up, man. (laughs) Bingo. You know, if you're already there, have you considered uh, DPing? And yeah, you could DP with one person. There are harnesses for that. They exist. Have you included a ramp in your life? What else can monogamous people do? I don't know. It's really endless, like, because there's all kinds of ways that you can customize sex. And, you know, something I'm thinking of is that people often underestimate the degree to which sex is a multi-sensory experience. And they're often just focused on like one specific act and what are the physical sensations and touch that I get out of this. But it's like, no, like an easy way to go if you want to add some novelty is just like explore your other senses, right? And add some different elements. So that could be visually, like there are a lot of people a heck of a lot of people who still have sex with the lights off, right? Oh my God. Add no. some visual stimulation. No. Or if you have too much visual stimulation, try a blindfold, right? <laughs> so you can play with that, you know, play with those different senses, play with sense of smell, play with taste, you know, incorporate food into sex. You know, uh, I was actually reading a study this morning on how one of the things that the most sexually satisfied couples are doing that the least sexually satisfied couples aren't is incorporating food into sex, right? And, you know, go to your refrigerator there's any number of things in there that you might be able to incorporate into sex. Some things you probably don't want to incorporate into sex, but you know, it's like, look around the house and you know, as sex educators like to say, anything is a sex toy if you're brave enough. I've got some extra pork fried rice, so I don't have to keep kosher. (laughs) Let me go get a spoonful of peanut butter. I'll be right back. Don't, don't, don't mind me. Uh, I always liked to incorporate things like that, like food and dressing up for me is something that I've always enjoyed doing. And it's interesting how some people really have an not an aversion to it, but are very indifferent to it. I'm sure both of you throughout your careers and the lovemaking arena have, there's people that have preferences, but uh, I've been mostly single for the pandemic for the most part. So, I mean, it's been, you know, mostly spicing it up with myself. <laughs> 
or just navigating what it's like to date during this time because obviously online dating, I've actually met some people in person, but even that is, it comes with its, you know, the perils. Like during the summer, it was easier to meet someone in person and like do a open air meet. But yeah, I mean, it's changed the whole way. I think people are sort of fraternizing with one another and I don't know. And, but yeah, the people being really reckless, it's so funny to the degree that you ask the questions like, who are you seeing? Are you seeing them with a mask? Are you social? Dis-? It's literally asking all the sex questions, but about, again, trying to avoid SARS-CoV-2, you know? It's really an interesting time. It makes me wonder if people will actually be better at sexual communication after all of this, because as you said, a lot of the questions that people are asking are things that like, you know, normally you should be asking when you're meeting somebody new about like disease status and what are the safety precautions and other things like that that you're taking. So this might actually be a template that helps people to communicate better about this stuff in the future. But I'm curious to hear about your experience with online dating, because in our research, one of the things we found is that people are having much deeper and more intimate conversations online than they were before. And so whereas online dating used to be like really superficial and like it's just all about the pictures, like it's different now. So has that kind of been what it's been like for you? I've had some really interesting false starts where they went deep super fast. I remember talking to this one man and it was one of those things where we instantaneously just bantered in this really lovely way and it quickly switched to text and it got kind of deeper and deeper and really kind of getting to know each other. I did notice, and you know, you pick up these red flags. He talked about his ex a little bit more than one would like to hear from somebody you're just meeting, but I was like, well, whatever. And I remember it kind of got into a sexting mode turn into like a sexting thing after a week of like solid, deep conversation. No photos were shared or anything like that, but it was just like definitely a sexting thing. And the next morning he sent me a text that was after we had built such kind of a deeper sort of foundation, it was such kind of a gross, mm. like it was a dirty text where it just made me feel really kind of like, ew, like was that ew? And I told him, I said, hey, just so you know, like I don't mind being the dirty girl. Like I can do that. But at the same time, I want to feel respected. And I felt completely disrespected this morning. And, and instead of being like, Hey, I'm sorry. Or having a, I mean, he doesn't have to agree with me, but like at least having that conversation, he got very defensive very quickly and it just ended. It just, so I had a couple of those that didn't end necessarily like that, but these deep dives that were really great where you kind of got to know them. And then one guy, we were getting to know each other. And then he all of a sudden out of nowhere told me that rice was bullshit. And I was like, what? Hey, like, was, <laughs> yeah, right, like, like the I, food. Yeah, the food. Yeah. <laughs> like, what does he mean okay. by it's bullshit? Like, it shouldn't exist. He just thinks or? it's a, yeah, it's a dumb food item. And I was like, well, billions of people would disagree with you, sir. But it was just like the weirdest. It was so. It's unfortunate because while I'd go on these deep dives. You know, there's something that is indescribable and is something that you can't, you know, sort of boil down is the chemistry that you meet in person. So a lot of these people I might have met in person and been like, Ugh, or immediately or given Rice's bullshit guy a chance. But I was just like, <laughs> this guy's this guy's a little, a little too much. He's got strong opinions about he had other food items that he was just like, I hate, you know, this and that. And I was like, what the heck is going on? I kind of need to know because I have so many questions. Rice Same. is so versatile. Like, has he never had like fried rice before? Good fried rice? 
I don't know what it was. It was probably some sort of empty calorie. I don't know. I don't, but also like when, I think when dudes are so concerned about food in a way that like, you know, they're CrossFit people are like, Ugh, oh, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I, I like to eat. I don't, you know, and I get it. Certain people have different affinities for different things, but like, you know, I'm not going to include, like we talked about your pork fried rice. We're not, I'm not going to include it in the sex act. He would best definitely been opposed to using <laughs> pork fried rice in the sex. Wiping but, left. Uh, that wasn't what I was proposing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, I guess the deeper conversations and the fizzle, I will say the turn up my turnover rate, because usually, and my mom will agree, um, she's not in the room, but she would agree that in the past I've given people too much time after it should have just died. You know, like relationships, I would just give and give and give and to the point where I was like, why? Like you're horribly matched for each other. Now I'm like, life's too short. Let's, let's keep going. (laughs) Let's keep going. Because life's short. I, and, and, and like I have some wonderful friends in New York City that I'd much rather spend my time with them or risk this whole COVID peril with them than with anybody else, you know? And even uh, we were very, very safe. Justin, didn't you recently write a piece on how many Tinder matches you need to go through before you get a date? I did. And obviously oh. that was a pre-pandemic study. Um, and so, you know, we, I don't know what the exact proportion or ratio is now, but this was a study looking at young adults, so college age individuals. And what they found was that it took 57 matches for every one in-person meetup, which says like, you have to match with a lot of people before you're willing to, you know, do anything in person. And then for every five meetups, there was one hookup or romantic relationship that developed, right? So when you're looking at the overall hit rate, you know, from match to actual connection in person, it's a really low, surprisingly low number. Wait, is that 57 number across both genders? Yes. They did find in the study, women had slightly more matches than men. The the difference wasn't statistically significant in that study, which was actually a little surprising to me because I've seen other research based on Tinder, finding that women tend to get a lot more matches than men do. But that's also why men and women like have different strategies on Tinder, like where men are swiping right haphazardly, just like in the hope of getting any match. And so maybe that's inflating their numbers to some degree. And I think that that's probably also contributing to some of this is like, you know, people do the more careful weeding out and selection later on, like a lot of us just want to get a match to feel good. Like it feels validating, like, oh, somebody's into me and I get something out of that. But if I'm going to actually like invest in meeting you in person, like I really need to vet you a little bit first. Yeah, I'm on Tinder and Hinge. But Tinder, I mean, I mean, obviously it's got the reputation for being more of a hookup site. And I'm, I mean, you know, like I just turned 42. I want to have children. I'm planning on freezing eggs in the next few months and I'm not quiet about it. I don't hide it. It's what I'm doing. To be fair, I'm not really looking to hook up with people. Like that's not my, especially given the current time we're living in, you know, maybe in the past. Yeah. But so I actually do read the profiles, you know, and I wanted them to be a little bit seeming like they kind of have their proverbial SHIT together. Why am I not saying shit? We've been talking about fucking. Anyways. uh, (laughs) Have you considered Bumble? I have been on Bumble. Okay. I met people on all of the sites too. Like I met someone on Hinge that I was dating recently, which was probably one of the more successful relationships I've had from online dating. But even some people have not been honest about their age. And I find out in person. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are you lying about that? Wait, how significant was the 10 age? 10 years. Oh. Higher or lower? Saying that they were younger. 
okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's sometimes guys that will be, they'll have their ages 50 and you're like, you're 22. Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they just want a cougar. You know, that's what they're looking for. But there's people that will hide their age. They'll lie about their age. It's interesting if you're just looking to bone down. I think Tinder's great and it's good to kind of get a basic idea because you can really see in, in four or five pictures if somebody's worth, you know, it's funny because you'll see one picture and you'll be like, oh yeah, that guy's kind of hot. And the next picture he's holding like a crossbow and a, and a dead fish and a dead elk. And you're like, not the guy for me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How dead was the fish? Was it like new dead or was it like a couple weeks? It was freshly fucked, Alice. It was a freshly <laughs> fucked fish head. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we call a callback, kids, in comedy. Comfish is going to come out of this episode. Comfish. Comfish. Since you're talking about people lying in online dating, there was a study done where they found that 88% of people lied about at least one thing in their online dating <laughs> As if profile. That was surprising. Sorry. Yeah, but men and women lie about different things. Oh, yeah. So men overestimate their height, women underestimate their weight, and everybody lies about their age. Why do so many people lie about their age? Because they think that being younger is going to make you more attractive. Um, fun personal side story. Um, my first time I tried online dating, um, <laughs> this was a long, long time ago because uh, I've been in a 21-year relationship. Um, and so I actually said that I was older. You than... started your 21-year-long <laughs> relationship when you were what, two? 19. Shut wow. the front door. You look amazing. Wow. <laughs> it's the beard. Um, yeah. Shut so I met up. my partner online and I actually said I was older than I was. I was like, oh, 19 doesn't sound attractive. I'm going to say I'm 22. Um, and I'm like, if I say I'm older and of legal drinking age, like that'll make me more attractive. So I'm like the one person who like said I was older <laughs> in online dating. But most people say they're younger. When I was growing up, I remember my best friend and I would go to Magic Mountain, which was basically like daycare for teenagers in the early 90s. Uh, we'd go to Magic Mountain. We were 13, going on like 30. I would go to the bathroom a lot of times and I'd come back and Ellen would whisper in my ear, we're 17. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So we'd always want to be older, but now I, I don't, I just, even like for my career stuff, I just... I never have wanted to do that because I just feel like it's um, – I dated someone who, who had memory issues and he said, one thing you'll know about me is I'll never lie to you because I'll never remember to keep up the lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. But I was with someone actually for five years out of a six-year relationship who lied to me for five of those years about his age, saying that he was five years younger. And I remember when I found out, I re we were on vacation and his sister-in-law had said something about – getting married at a certain time of their life or a certain amount of years prior. And I was like doing the math in my head because I'm a weird number person. And I was like, oh, wow, you were really young. And she's like, no, I wasn't. And then he was like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. <gasps> and so I was like, mm. and so we're laying in bed <laughs> and the lights are off. And I'm like, how old are you? And he said, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, oh, and I got up and we were staying at it. It was Christmas time. I was staying at his mom's house and I went into the living room or kitchen and I was like, how old is your son? And she said, it's between the two of you. And I was like, you are enabling his lies. Wow. Funny enough, he was actually featured on a TV show and he, they still gave the wrong <gasps> age. So I was like, oh my goodness. So are we oh outing him? 
Has or what? Are we outing him on the show? I can't out him. Ugh. I can't. I can't be an, a total jerk. Fine. He, if he Fair. heard this, he would know. Not that he would, but okay. I know, but it was it was hilarious because I had, it was one of those days where I just thought, well, I wonder what that ex is up to, and I Googled him, and three days earlier. He had just been sort of pranked on the show, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then they they said the age, and I was like, oh, "It's still wrong." But I felt so <laughs> stupid that, like, I felt so dumb that all those, you know, and people were like, "Why didn't you know? Didn't you check his ID?" And I'm like, "Why would I? Why would I check? You know, this is my partner. Like, I wouldn't. I trust them." I've been with someone for eight years. I have not looked at his license or passport ever. I've seen it, like in passing glances, but I haven't studied it. Like, you don't think about that. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, it wasn't something that came to mind. To be honest, I feel bad for people who feel the need. I love the fact that my mom has never, ever cared about her age. She's never cared about aging. She's never been, it's never been an issue for her. You know, she's older than my father by eight and a half, nine years, you know, and it's never come up as something that she feels insecure about or anything like that. So I never felt at any point that I should lie. The only time in my life I've ever felt uncomfortable about my age is it's not even been in relationships or dating. It was in business transactions. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. When you're dealing in, for example, like corporate accounts and you're a young 20-something and you're in a room full of like 40, 50-year-olds, not going to lie, I grew some hair on my ball sack and started drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning because- to talk to you, the hair on your ball sack. Uh, Mostly hours. about that. It's Not quite drinking beautiful. whiskey or alcoholism. I'd like to French um, braid it, sing to it <laughs> at night. Toast. I want to toast your ball sack. Can I toast it? It looks mostly like Justin's beard, except down below. <laughs> wow, you really invested in growing some hair. I mean, that is. How else do you close a deal? You would know, not me. They could sense it. <laughs> That's funny. I yeah, there was years ago I used to work in production as a, you know, PA for this one production company and they would always send me to go get cash, like petty cash. So I would be taking out 25 grand in cash at a bank. I was 20, 21 years old. Who the fuck trusts somebody of that age? They did. And I'm just and I look, you know, like 16. Hi guys. How are you? You know, like with this bag of cash. I mean, I could have just like gotten in the car and gone to Mexico, but nope. I went back to set like a good kid and was, <laughs> here you go. That's really interesting. So, Justin, women lied about their... I didn't know a lot of people put their weight on dating sites, I guess. Well, I mean, if people put it on, then they underestimate it. Like, it depends on the app. You know, some apps ask people to just put your body type in. And so you say, like, athletic or whatever, instead of putting in, like, traditional height, weight measures. But I think the boundaries between, like, what is... Thin and fuzzy and average, like it's yeah. a very nebulous term. Yeah. There's no What's agreed average? upon definition. Yeah. Yeah. I get it though when it comes to weight because, like for example, I lost twenty pounds, and I am very fucking proud of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still like 139, 140 pounds. If you say 140 pounds, some people think, "Holy shit, that's a lot." But if you look at photos of me. I I mean, for my height, I look thin. I look You're fine. You're a babe, average. Alice. Thank you. I have some photos to prove I am a babe. Mm-hmm. I really do. And they're not Photoshopped, which is even better. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how I know I feel good. It's like, these are great photos of me and I do not have to use Facetune on them. I have a question. I wanted to go back to just one thing that you mentioned a little earlier. You know, when people are sending you photos, like what is the minimum number of photos you want to receive from somebody to know whether you can reliably judge their attractiveness? 
right? Because one photo clearly is up top enough. or down below. Yeah. <laughs> how many? I, I mean, up top. Like, oh. yeah, not like how many dick pics do you need to see? Like, uh, but. You know, you can answer that separately if you want. But <laughs> you know, I'm as a physicist, I care about angles. <laughs> like for face and body pics, like you know, how many pictures do you need to see before you feel like you've really got a sense of a person? Because you know, it's very easy to pick an unrepresentative photo. It is. Yeah, for me, I'm all about personality. Like I know it sounds so incredibly cheesy. Like it's all about person. It really is for me. I mean, Alice will, I think, attest that. Like I have types, but not. Yeah not strict types. It's really, you have to be funny and you have to be smart. And if it looks like that, you know, for instance, no offense to golfers out there. Like if I see five golfing photos, I'm just like, not the dude for me, you know, (laughs) but usually like two or three photos where at least I get kind of a sense of who this person is. Shirtless bathroom selfies are not exactly like the most, you know, appealing, but I get that. Like, I think, especially at a a certain age, I think sometimes when, when there's people like in their fifties that are like, I'm going to do a shirtless bathroom selfie, even if they look great, it's kind of like photos with context are better. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't mind the shirtless bathroom selfie because at least they're showing you what you're getting. This is true. May not like fully reflect the individual, but at least, you know what, you understand what I'm not saying you're buying because you Unless you're paying for it. Ha! But, you know, you do get an extra dimension versus if you don't see it. Frankly, I don't think anything under five photos is acceptable. That's just me. That's a fair amount. I'm also a stalker. No, I well, I like to get last name. Well, the thing is, like, it's easy to figure me out. Like, if I say I'm a primatologist, my name is Natalia, and I do TV stuff, like, all you have to do is input that, and you're, it's like I'm an easy, easy stalkable person. So I find it very unfair and lacks any sort of equity if I don't find out someone's last name until like, you know, way later. But, um, I oh, think- Oh, I'm, I'm worse. I'm the type of person where I'm like, all right, I've found your five uh, previous residences. Oh. Yeah. I'm that wow. Guy, girl. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're like on Zillow Oh my stuff. God. Like- <laughs> I, I'll do some Instagram stalking if they're not private, but, um, wow. Wow. Alice, we need to talk. I think, you know, maybe we, uh, Look, I know you run a business. It's actually under this address. Look, that address is tied to a UPS where the mail is forwarded to you. So I know you don't live there. However, I know your banking details are tied to this completely separate address, which is either your parents' home and or an extra home that you have. So yeah, I will will go crazy. (laughs) Wow. If you're listening to me and uh, you're an excerpt of mine or we've dated or we've boned, uh, I'm so sorry. I know everything. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You don't think I know? No, I know. And remember, I've just never brought it up. Revenge is a dish best served cold, Alice. Don't you ever forget that one. And I love to play the (laughs) de blonde. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Actually, I have have an okay memory. Yeah, no, 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 no. Trust me, I've gone on dates with people or talked to people where I pretend like I don't, they'll tell me the fact for the first time that I'm supposed to be hearing for the first time, but I'm like, I have to fake that I've never heard it before, even though I've been like checking out their stuff and being like, oh, play cool, play cool. But honestly, like one of the things that runs through my head, Justin, is when I look at somebody's pictures, I think, would I be proud if they were my partner? Like, would I feel would I feel good if they were my partner? Like, at the end of the day, you know what I mean? If that's what I'm looking for. If I'm just looking to get, you know, a little horizontal hula, a little in and out <laughs> action, then it's different. But if it's like I'm looking for like, I mean, and, and I hate to say it, I'm at that point where it's like I'm looking for somebody to have a life with and I just look at their photos and I'm kind of almost embarrassed. <laughs> 
first, which I hate to say, and I feel so mean saying that, but when you see a sedated tiger or photos, you know, where they're behaving in ways that I'm just like, it's not something I want to associate with, especially, I mean, I've done Tinder in all parts of the country and in areas where there are some, what you would classify as some white supremacist rednecks. And that's definitely, you know, you can see it pretty quick. I mean, it's really quick yeah. when they're at Hard their no. plan meeting. Yeah, oh, dear. At least they're wearing masks. Oh, that's a horrible one. So that's something that I found to be interesting as I've gone around the country and around the world to sex research conferences. And my colleagues who are engaged in online dating will be talking about like how different the profiles and photos are geographically. And that would make for a fascinating study because it's like our conferences are sometimes in like the deep South or very red places. Like we've, one of the main conferences I've go to, you know, we've been to Omaha and Charleston, South Carolina. And like, you've been to a lot of very conservative places. And it's funny to listen to my female colleagues talking about like what the men on Tinder look like and how they present themselves there and how like hunting photos pop up in certain regions of the country more than others. But as we're talking about all of this, I can't help but also think about how photos and like, you know, learning personal details about people is so different for like gay men compared to women on a dating app and how like you might do like a deep dive into like, who is this person? And I want to know their last name and like all of this because I want like that safety and security. Oh, I have found their Reddit profile and their Reddit fake right? profile. <laughs> oh, I know how they oh, feel wow. about certain topics. Sorry, continue. Justin, that's what do gay men look for? Apparently that's not their social security number like myself. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's just so interesting, like the difference in how people approach it and how it's like, I don't even need to know your name necessarily in a lot of cases, uh, let alone like all of these other details and where it's often, you know, for example, if you're looking at an app like Grindr, like it's based more on, okay, what do the photos look like? are we compatible sexually? And it's like, okay, good to go. And like, there's really minimal contact beyond that. And so it's actually a much more anonymous type of encounter in a lot of those cases. And I'm not saying that all hookups and, you know, meetings on Grindr are like that, just that how that is an experience that is much more unique to the men who have sex with men community compared to, you know, straight women on, on dating apps. I want to know certain statistics as in, so for example, like based on how many times you post about brunch online, how much more likely are you to be either an extrovert or more sexually promiscuous? I want to know those statistics because how many people post about brunch on like Tinder or all these apps or Grindr or wherever? I feel like every other profile has someone at brunch photo of them at least, you know, holding a mimosa or something or a bellini. I don't know the exact answer to that, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious to know as well. <laughs> I've always wanted to do a study and it would be a very complicated one, but there's so much data there and I would be, I don't know, maybe, maybe we could talk about this, Justin, because I, I do think this would be fascinating to understand the swiping patterns on women during their cycle. Mm -hmm. Because I know that when I am ovulating... <laughs> I swipe. I can, you know, you can kind of tell when you are, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, my swiping uh, readiness and like willing to like, I don't know. I mean, he, he I, sure he seems a little off, but that's cool. Whatevs, you know, like, and, and, and just go ahead and swipe right. How that 
varies throughout a woman's cycle, you know? And of course, it'd be very case by case because uh, women have different preferences. It, I remember years ago, there was actually a study at a conference about preferences for penis size. And I thought that was a really misleading study because, I mean, with the advent of clothes and also showers versus growers, <laughs> like there's a lot of variation, you know, to the penis. And also just, again, showers versus growers. If you're going to show a flaccid penis, you don't know what, what the, that could end up in the next 30 seconds looking like. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of factors and variables that, you know, whether looking at women swiping during their cycle or their preferences for wean size. And also just thinking like how women construct their profiles if they're ovulating versus another <laughs> at another phase of the cycle, yep. right? There's a lot of implications there. And I'm not really aware of any studies that have specifically looked at ovulation in the context of online dating. Certainly there's a ton of studies I've seen looking at how just when women are at different phases of the cycle, like that influences the types of guys that they find attractive mm -hmm. or the clothing choices that they make. There's also the famous study of ovulating strippers showing that they get a spike in their tips. What? when they're ovulating compared to other times of the month. But for women who are on the pill or taking some other hormonal contraceptive, like they've got, you know, pretty flat earnings there. So ladies, uh, you know, post-pandemic, you want to make more. Book all the nicer seeing clients when you're ovulating. Just ovulate more, I think is good. <laughs> get, get up on that. <laughs> No, I mean, it's it's fascinating because, I mean, we have what, what, what human women have and some non-human primates is, is mostly concealed ovulation. You don't know when we're ovulating yeah. unless you know your partner very well. And some women don't even know when they're ovulating themselves. I am that woman, by the way. No idea. No fucking clue. <laughs> you don't feel, okay, I am not on oral birth control right now and I can feel things are moving, shaking. Thank God at this point because I'm just like, at least things are still moving. <laughs> I'm also not on birth control at the moment and- no idea. Huh. None. Did your partner know? No. Actually, you know what? I should probably check the app. Actually, what's funny is he's installed a period tracking app for me. So that way he can remind me when I'm about to have my period. Because Aww. I will forget, but his app is always accurate, yet mine isn't. Maybe because I don't keep mine up to date. And he does. That's really kind of sweet, though. It is. Taking care. Yeah, I, I, I'm not very good. I forget. And then sometimes I'm just like, oh, shoot. You know, like the shining up in here. Point is, I have no idea when I'm ovulating. And I'm shocked that like for you, there's a difference. Whereas for me, I'm like this horny wildebeest all the time. Same, but I can just feel things percolating, just moving around, shifting it up, getting all funky. But uh, there are actually two theories, and I'm sure Justin, you know, has probably heard some of these theories about concealed ovulation. And, you know, there's the more patriarchal, conservative idea that as we evolved and, and we could no longer tell when women were ovulating uh, or receptive, that it would push towards monogamy because then men would basically want to kind of sort of hone in on that mate and make sure she didn't mate with others during that time or any time, you know, because he didn't know when she was ovulating. And then there's the more feminist uh, theory by Sarah Hurdy that basically uh, not knowing when you're ovulating would promote this mini, mini fathers theory where basically because males would not know whose kid was theirs, they would all provide protection and be good to the kid, be good to her. And I prefer, I mean, I think that also makes more sense considering, uh, and I'm sure, you know, Justin would agree that there's cultures throughout the world where monogamy is not the norm. So it, I think it's a very presumptuous idea that 
not knowing when you're ovulating is a sign that we should be monogamous because there's many signs that point that that's not the case. No, for sure. And it's so interesting to look at how variable cultures around the world today are just in terms of monogamy and non-monogamy. And then historically, I think people have kind of taken for granted this idea that like, oh, humans have always been monogamous and like, that's what people are meant for. And like, there's lots of people who think this, but you know, monogamy is actually a fairly recent social invention. If you look at the historical records, so. Screw you, agriculture. (laughs) Sedentary lifestyles. (laughs) marriage. I mean, it's mostly because once we shifted away from community upbringing, when it comes to like child rearing, it's like, all right. So if you have sex and the partner leaves and hypothetically you're looking for support and you no longer have that community support, then yeah, having that individual helps raise a child, you know, versus not having that other individual. So I I could see like why it bore out and, you know, pre-birth control. But I mean, we've definitely evolved past that. Now we're at a place where we don't need that. Yeah, I lecture about this in the Neolithic Revolution and just the idea that agriculture and and putting down roots kind of screwed up things in many ways. Of course, it meant that we had it. If crops were good that year, we had food that would sustain us. Unfortunately, it's the same kind of food and a lot of it grain oriented. So that meant more like dental caries, more cavities and tooth problems because you're eating the same thing day in and day out. And it's hard on, it's not good for your teeth. There's a lot of rice and I hear that's bullshit. You know, rice is bullshit, (laughs) but it's great for the sex time. (laughs) Pork fried rice. I don't eat pork, but I would, I would have sex with it. All Jewish guys need not apply. Oh dear. We don't keep kosher in my household. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm fine with that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, putting down roots meant, you know, obviously eating the same crops all the time. Also meant higher rates of pathogen transmission. You know, you didn't see huge pandemics and plagues like this. You know, a group of hunters and gatherers and, uh, you know, might get sick, but it wouldn't spread to thousands of people. But when we have these large scale civilizations, that's when you see these like pathogens that just sort of burn through populations. Um, And then of course you have like marriage and monogamy or polygamy, because it makes sense if you have a farm and you need to raise a lot of crops, it would make sense to have multiple wives that could give you a lot of kids, you know? Because Mm -hmm. it's extra help on the farm. Yeah. 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 It's free labor. (laughs) You think I'm joking. I know you're not. No. (laughs) That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) This is also why, I mean, look, is child labor that unethical? And the answer is depends. (laughs) I mean, it is interesting when you look at the historical record and like how young people used to be when they were, you know, basically working full time. You know, like my grandpa dropped out of high school in the ninth grade and worked full time for the rest of his life beyond that. And it's like, you know, today we look at that and be like, what the fuck? Like, how is that a thing? But, you know, this wasn't that long ago. And like, that was normal. And he was actually like the man of the house and was like taking care of the family because he had multiple siblings that needed to be taken care of. And if he wasn't out there, like making money to bring home, like they wouldn't be able to eat. And it's like, he was, you know, in ninth grade. It's wild. It's insane. Where are you from, Justin? Small town, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, no, I'm just curious. I always like to know where people, your origin story. Yes. 
And then my dad's side of the family, actually, during the pandemic, found out interesting things about it because one of my uncles went on a deep dive through Ancestry.com to explore our family history. And so I, I grew up thinking my dad's side of the family was French and German, but actually had somebody reach out to me during the pandemic who told me about my Swiss background as well that's mixed in there. And then my uncle went on Ancestry and found that we have Native American in that side of the family as well. And uh, so it's just I don't know. People have a lot of time on their hands right now, but it's been interesting to explore this kind of like deep dive into my family history and actually connect with people on the other side of the world for the first time where there is some like shared family there. Yeah. Also, I've met a lot of people randomly enough on planes who have met siblings that they didn't know they had <laughs> What <laughs> through ancestry tests. And, and, oh, yes. and as an anthropologist, I know that there's a lot of problems with ancestry tests in terms of sort of, oh, well, I'm part, you know, not in your case, but another, like, I'm part Cherokee, so I'm part of the Cherokee tribe. It's like, no, they got to claim you. Or Oh, wait, so another way to feel rejected. Okay, cool. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm, yeah. If you took an ancestry test from Ancestry.com, 23andMe, and, you know, another one, you're going to get different results from each test because mm-hmm. they have different samples they're pulling from. But anyways, one of the things they can find are, are lost siblings or relatives. And so I've met a couple people that were like, oh, I'm going to go visit my half-brother that lives in, you know, Akron, you know? <laughs> like, and you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I just found them. And a friend of mine found her dad recently. I'm from just south of Akron. Oh, you know, but <laughs> wait a minute. Was it you? Are you the brother? <laughs> DNA doesn't lie, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, busted, I've, I found you. <laughs> You know, the other interesting thing with all of this is that, you know, when people do make these connections, yeah, you do have to go some extra step of verification. But Mm -hmm. when you get people together and you can like actually trace back your family tree because they have documents and records, it's like, wow, you can like fill in these gaps in a way that you never otherwise would have been able to do before. Yeah. So super interesting, but also really fascinating, like how many cases of infidelity (laughs) (laughs) emerge as a result of ancestry, like oh, my father is not who I thought they were because, yeah. And that's one of the things I I talk about when I go through the reproductive strategies and and just sort of different ways of doing it of the non-human primates. Gibbons, which are the lesser apes, uh, there's a gibbon center outside of Los Angeles that I love to visit. And they, I call them monogamish because they're one of the only apes that is considered that lives in nuclear families. There's mom, dad, and the two kids, but they'll sneak an extra pair copulation on the side. Oh, I'm going to go borrow a cup of sugar from Susie at the next tree over. I'll be, I'll be right back, you know? And then of course, through DNA analysis, we know that, oh, it's not all that it seems to be. So yeah, I mean, why wouldn't it be? There might be semen in that sugar. There's definitely some semen in that sugar. Yes. You can't use that for baking anymore. I've heard some sourdough starters uh, with some. I'm kidding. I'm just. Uh, Where a, were you in the beginning um, of the pandemic? Recipe book. Oh my god! I know which one you have. You like, what? Yeah. You have the Go book on? of all the semen recipes. Yeah, it's the semen-based cocktails. Oh my god! Yeah. And you know what they recommend doing actually is freezing it. You know, and making it into ice cubes so you can like drop it into like any drink that you want. You can make a smoothie. Yes, and they have such fun names. Like you can make yourself a jizz and juice, and like 
Um, I think I actually have like the cookbook version too. I feel like there's a recipe for tiramisu somewhere uh, around here. Okay, like, I don't quick know, question. Like, there's like a couple of them. Do you have semenology? Do you have cooking with semen uh, with 50 delicious, 100 <laughs> delicious recipes? Do you have natural harvest, a collection of semen-based recipes? There is not one book and these are all real titles you could check. This brings a whole nother meeting to Caucasian. I have several of them. Like, <gasps> so we have like a, you know, white elephant exchange in my family. And since I became a sex researcher, like we've started giving out perverted things. I like your family. For that. <laughs> actually, I think this started when, and actually this was not a white elephant gift. My mom gave me an erotic cookbook for Christmas one year and it was called Fork Me, Spoon Me. And she thought it was hysterical when I opened it. And so oh my God. after that, lots of like sexual cookbooks were exchanged, which I know sound, it's going to sound weird to people, but like we get a kick out of it. Oh, it's great. This is hilarious. <laughs> I've had mother Russians before with my friend's breast milk. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No. Right? Yeah, yeah. You can make a, a white Russian with breast milk. It's a mother Russian, uh, mother Russia. Uh, but I could see you could make a, they call them Caucasians in uh, Big Lebowski. You could have yourself a nice Caucasian with, uh, yeah, I know. I went there. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't use the term Caucasian generally for its typical meaning because of its racist origin, but I will use it in this case for a drink made out of semen. Yes. Speaking of breast milk, like... You know the like erotic lactation bars that exist in some no, countries. No. There's like, a bar, erotic uh, lactation bars. Oh, Where? Yeah. Which country? Uh, so I wrote an article about this for Playboy several years ago, and I believe in Japan was one of the bars that I wrote about where you can actually like go up to the bar and you can like drink it straight from the tap if you want <gasps> because they have lactating women there, or you can you know have your cocktail pre-made um but yeah basically it's like for breast milk fetishists or enthusiasts they can go to this bar and get it what country um, again? but it's also really i was in japan and like, i did not see this what you gotta go back once the world reopens fuck oh my god i have so many questions instead of sake it suck me uh <laughs> But, you know, there's also, speaking of the breast milk, like, there are lots of women in the U.S. who sell their excess, their surplus breast milk. But then they have to, like, deal with guys who are, like, posing as nursing mothers or, or women who are in need of breast milk because they want to get their hands on actual breast milk, which is, like, a whole other, like, level of deception and, and something else that's going on that I think nobody realizes. Like, that's this whole underworld and, like, the surplus breast milk community where, like, you have to, like, filter out the fetishists wow. so that you can actually be supplying your milk to mothers who need it to nurse their infants. Yeah. As a capitalist, I care about what is the going rate of this liquid gold? <laughs> And as a humanist, I'm like, no, get out of there. Baby needs that milk. Jim, go sit over there. The problem is, like, <laughs> what is the verification process for this? Like, post your baby? Like, someone would steal photos of babies online. You know that would happen. But also some of these women don't care because the fetishists will pay more. Exactly. Right? And so... You know, some women will like try to nurse for as long as they can to produce more milk because it's a basically a side gig for them. Look, <laughs> if you gotta hustle, you gotta hustle. I'm now thinking like I, I'm freezing eggs because I I don't want to have to rush into having kids, but I'm thinking like I would like two to four years, and I could I could just keep going. You know, just come on, 
just keep keep it going. It's not a bad side hustle. It's kind of like just like a, a wet nurse that charges. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to give it away for free. I just feel like it's kind of, I no, don't know. No, don't do that. I'm, okay, fine. Sorry. Buy, buy the cow and you can get the milk for free. <laughs> at least have them pay for shipping and at least like for your time. That's it, okay? Give yourself a base rate. For- okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Look, everyone deserves to be paid. I believe in that. I mean, look, how are we ever going to get to a fair minimum wage if we feel like people should give their services away for free? You mean a, a fair mammary wage? <laughs> yeah? Yeah? No? A little too much? Sorry. Did it, I, I mean, uh, I'm going to see myself Wait. out the back door. I'll say, oh, bye. That was too much? <laughs> <laughs> After everything else, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Justin. Oh wow, that's really uh, neat. I didn't. And now you wrote that article for Playboy. Yeah, I uh, used to write very regularly for Playboy, and there was actually a point in time where I almost left academia to become a full time Playboy writer. Oh. Uh, the reason I didn't was because. I didn't think there would be the job security in that, and they have a White House correspondent. They didn't offer me that position. Brian Curry and we watch you on, or I do at least. Um. <laughs> That's so funny. Did you ever go? I actually worked a party at the mansion many, many years ago. Did you ever get to go and, and hang? Never got to go to the mans, uh, so don't know what it's like. They have a spider monkey there named Coco. It's all you need to know. Okay. I was working a party there. I was the gatekeeper. So I had to walk, work the door, basically. Uh, it was the Bruno Mars cover party. Uh, he was the first, I think, dude to grace the cover. And this is in 2012. I remember I was snarfing some pizza. It was right before they were about to open the party. And I, of course, they have a spider monkey. I studied spider monkeys. So I'm sitting by her cage and I'm like shoving this pizza pizza in my face and wearing like a hot little number. And I hear, and I'm I also, spider monkeys make this vocalization. They go, <clears throat> sounds like they're clearing their throat. like a <clears throat> Just like Bruno Mars. Yeah, exactly. And then I heard something coming around the corner, and it was Bruno Mars and his entourage. <gasps> How did I know? How did I know? He sounds you like know. a sparta, spider monkey. Called it. No, 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 but he wasn't making that sound. Coco was, but he, he heard me. And is that what you were implying? Yeah. That I, I was summoning? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I missed that. Yes, Maybe. I summoned Bruno Mars with my... <clears throat> but he gave me a look as if, who's this... Wacko, and uh, that was my my one run in with Bruno Mars. Sorry, page six, you don't get a good story today. I know, I'm sorry. There was no like bounce That was my bad porno music. So, for more bad porno music and this video, patrons or people who want to become patrons, you guys can head on over to support the show at patreon.com slash two girls on mic or two girls on mic.com and hit the support button. Your Support helps pay the editing and keep this show running every single week. Justin, thank you so much for coming back on. You're always a pleasure. You're always a wealth of knowledge. You have a new podcast. I do. It's called the Sex and Psychology Podcast. And you can find it on my website, sexandpsychology.com, or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow my Sex and Psychology blog, check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, or follow me on the social media for daily sex research updates. And there's always a daily new update. 
Pretty much. Um, although yesterday was a picture of me with my cat while I was podcasting. Close enough. So, you know, like occasionally I throw that in, but. <laughs> That's a wonderful update. And you get to see the beard. I think more than anything, you you need to see the beauty that is Justin's lovely face and, and facial uh, hair. It's, it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. And juxtaposed with a kitten, like there's oh, nothing else like it. What's your so. cat's name? <laughs> She's a quarantine kitten. Her name is Mayhem. Oh. She's like a little crazy ball of chaos and she's beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And I've never had a cat before, so this has been like a big learning experience. But um, yeah, she's great. It's like you're becoming a dad, but better. I know. Cat daddy. (gasps) Ooh, cat daddy. Mm. (laughs) We need to bring back that cat daddy dance that everyone had several years ago. What was the cat daddy dance? There was a cat daddy dance. Was there? Yeah. I don't know. We'll learn it for next Next time. time. All right. But speaking of which, uh, make sure to subscribe to the show. Check us out next week. Uh, Follow us on all the social media platforms at TGOM Podcast. And Natalia, where can our listeners find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Natalia13Reagan. Same with Instagram. And I just did a podcast about butts, glutiology on Allie Ward's ologies. So if you want to hear our whole podcast, me talking booties, sweet peachy keisters, go check it out. Amazing. And you guys can find me, Alice, over on the socials at Rational Blonde. But you guys could catch us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye.